You know, when, uh, when we get married, whenever that happens, uh, we each have a certain design for how that wedding day is going to go. We, we spend a long time planning and thinking, and, um, and I, when I say we, I'm using that liberally because let's just be honest, it's usually she, it's usually her, right? Um, that, you know, and, and they just, so much time and effort is put into what's the best way to do this and what can we include, what can we incorporate to make this the most magical wedding ever, right? And, you know, your, your bride-to-be guys, she shows you these pictures or these catalog descriptions and these patterns and, and you're, you know, just overjoyed with excitement and enthusiasm, Right? Like you just can't contain it. You laugh. You laugh because you know that's not the case. You're like, sure. And she's like, sure. What do you really think about it? What do you, what, I mean, isn't this just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Uh, yeah, it, it's good. It's great. And, and she's, she's looking for involvement, right? She's looking for you to be totally on the same page as she is and on board. And she wants you to be part of the whole creative process. Because your, your bride-to-be, your treasure, has this wonderful design in mind of how everything should be and then how everything's going to go. Because you know it's just going to go exactly the way she's planned it and designed it, right? It's going to go perfectly. It's not going to be any problem at all. No issues. Everything's going to go off without a hitch. Yeah, Right. Whenever I'm doing wedding counseling, I always tell the, the couple, now I understand you want your wedding day to be special and it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. It's going to be a great day and we want it to be a great day, but something will go wrong, I tell them. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And I also tell them, make sure you put so much more effort, so much more energy, and so much more preparation into the days after your wedding than you do the wedding day itself. Because as great as your wedding day is, as magical as it, as it will be, that's one day. And it's the life that comes after that that's really very, very important. Um, in our case, Leanne and me, in our wedding, we... We did what every couple does, you know, we, we wanted to, well, especially her. Uh, let's just be honest about it. I just really didn't do that much, I, you know. I was there for the head nodding. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, um, she was the one that really did the planning, and she had a design in mind, and I was, you know, I was there too. I mean, I wanted it to be a great day, and, and our design for our wedding was... We were going to have an outdoor wedding at Atha Farms. You guys know where Atha Farms is? Yeah, it's a beautiful piece of property. Uh, I know the family really well, so they really gave it to us as a gift, you know, to use. And um, it was just going to be great. You know, we, we had pictures in our head of, you know, the fairy tale wedding. And, and it was just going to be the most beautiful day of the entire year. And everything was just going to be memorable. And everyone would remark on how that was the most beautiful wedding they had ever been to in their life. Well, right before the wedding was to happen, we had torrential downpour rain. I mean, it was like a monsoon came in. 
It went from sunny and nice and warm in June to like, you know, October, November. I mean, it was just like wind and rain and the temperature dropped. I mean, it was awful. And it wasn't showing any signs of letting up. We had already paid for all the chairs to be put out, you know, because you have to get chairs and put out in, in the, the area. And we not only paid the deposit, we paid for the whole chairs, right? I mean, we paid for all of them. Non-refundable. That's great. And so we had all of our decorations and everything ready for an outdoor wedding. And that would have been fine if we were prepared to incorporate kayaks into the wedding for the wedding party. That would have worked fine. But we weren't prepared for that, so what do we do? We scrambled, and we contacted my home church, Mount Tabor, and we said, look, we know this is last minute, but we can't have an outdoor wedding anymore. Is there any chance we can just go ahead and get married in the church? And so they said, yeah, yeah sure, if you, you want to do that, that's fine. And it wasn't a matter of want to, it was a matter of this is what we have to do. So we, we scrambled and got everything that we could ready this is like the next morning, okay? I mean, we canceled the, the afternoon before the wedding, and this is the next morning we're supposed to be ready for all of this to happen. So skipping ahead, we got in, we're ready to do the thing, the, the church is ready, it's decorated, it actually really looks nice, and, you know, and we're excited, we're ready to be married. And we get a phone call that the pastor to do the wedding, Leanne's pastor, Pastor Dwayne Pease, um, his son, Daniel, on the way to come to the church, because of all the rain, remember, it's raining, it's raining, it's raining, he hydroplaned, went off the road. I don't know, I mean, he might have even flipped his car. Did he, did he do something like that? Was it that bad? I think it was something. I mean, it was like a totaled car. And, I mean, it was like, wh- what? You know, so, so Dwayne's kind of, you know, like this. I mean, any dad would be, right? And he's wondering if his son's okay, and he's trying to still be in the right frame of mind to do this. And so we're like, okay, great, what's going to happen next? And so uh, he, he gets himself together, and we're ready, and we're having the, the ceremony, and the, the wedding march is playing, the song's playing on, on this uh, stereo. And I think it was my wonderful wife, I think she tripped the cord. Was it you, or was it someone else? Oh, is your gown. Okay. Yeah, so the cord that's connecting everything, it, it caught the cord and it ripped it out. And so you have... Dah, dah, <laughs> and so she started to walk, you know, and it's like, what do we do now? And I'm just standing there and just smiling, you know. And one of my friends who was running the sound and everything, he literally jumped over the pew. I mean, it was like, no. And, and I mean, he's suspended in midair. And he grabs the cords and he puts them together. And it's like, and it goes right back. And so she goes on. And yeah, it's, oh, and then, then this takes the, this is really great too. As we're up there, I put the ring on the wrong finger. And everybody knows it. It's just great. But guess what? We still got married. We still got married. And even though our wedding day didn't exactly go according to the design that we had for it, I can honestly say our marriage has been unbelievably good. And that's not to our credit. That's God's goodness and His faithfulness. But it's also up to a decision that that we made and that we keep making 14 years now. 
and we keep making the same decision, uh, not perfectly, but consistently, and that's that we're going to let go of our design for our marriage. We're going to choose to go by God's design. We're going to choose to operate in a marriage that is by design, but not by ours. It's by, by God's. And that's the only way that any of us have any hope of having the right kind of marriage, a successful marriage. The only way that's going to happen is if we realize there is a design for our marriage, but it's not really about our design. It's about God's design for marriage. He's the architect of the institution of marriage. It's his idea. He came up with it. He brought it about. He introduced it. So it makes sense for us, all of us, we're going to be wise if we look at his design for our marriage and we seek to understand it and we seek to apply it to our marriage, to every aspect of our marriage, every single day. That's really how we're going to have the right kind of marriage and the marriage that will last despite all that will, will come against it. That's the only hope. So that's what we want to do in this series. We want to go back to God's design for marriage and we want to, we want to understand what is God's design, his plan for our marriages. We want to know it. We want to apply it with his help to our marriages so that we have marriages that are strong and that are good and that point other people looking in on our marriages to God himself. That's what we want to do. And that's what we hope to do through this series. So if you have your Bibles with you, your copies of God's Word, whether that's digital or uh, traditional, turn or bring up Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. This is really the first place we see God's design for marriage. We see a marriage by design on full display in this text. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. I'll also have it on the screen for you. I'll be reading from the NLT today, the New Living Translation, because I absolutely love the way this translation brings out the original intent and heart of the Hebrew in this passage. It really captures uh, what is going on uh, more so than some of the other translations that we have. So, Genesis 2, 18 through 25, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Just right for him. So this is early on in the creation account, and God has already created the sun and the moon and the stars and all of that. Every day he's gone through his his order of creation. And what does he say? You guys know this. What does he say? Up till this point, what does he say after every day of creation, after he looks back over his work, he says a phrase. What is it? What is it? It is good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Until he gets to this part here, and man's already been created, but he says something that has not been said up to this point. Everything's been good. Everything's been great until now. And he sees something and he says, this is not good. This is not good. What's not good? What does he see that's not good? What can he not sign off on and say, this is great. This is very, very good. It's that man, Adam, is alone. Alone. And that's not good. 
And that's significant because even though Adam is alone in the sense of not having a human companion with him, he's not entirely alone by any stretch of the imagination because his creator, God, is very much with them. They have a communion and and a fellowship that we can't even imagine uh, the depths of their closeness. And that's incredible to me because even though that's true, God looks at, at his creation, his chief creation, man, and he says, even though I'm here with him, even though he has me, He's still alone, and that's not good. And so immediately God says, I'm not going to leave it that way. I'm going to make a helper who is just right for him, perfectly suited for him. And that's really good news, not just for Adam, but that's good news for us. Because husband, wife, if you're here today, you have your spouse, guess what? If you're believers... God provided you in one another a helper that is just right for you. And you need to remember that. We all need to remember that because sometimes, sometimes we will look at the person next to us, they will look at us, and the question will be, why? Why? What What was I thinking? You know? Come on, you know it's true. You know it's true. For you newlyweds out there, if it hasn't happened already, it will. I guarantee it. And it's in those times that you need to remember, God provided me the helper that was just right for me. Hand-picked. You may have done the whole dating thing, and you may feel like you found your, your bride or your groom, but guess what? If you're in Christ, he picked them for you. He had them planned and prepared for you ahead of time. That's a great thought. That's a great thought. Because if it's just up to us, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so what he offered to Adam is exactly what he offers for all of us. And what it shows us is that God designed humanity for community. God designed humanity for community. And this is something that even though marriage is designed to be the most beautiful and the most meaningful example of that fact, it's by no means limited to just marriage. Um, there's, there's some people, maybe you're one of them, that are just not meant to be married. And that sounds like maybe a scary thought, but it's true. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that there are some that are meant to be single, and they're meant to use their singleness in a very special way uh, for God to to use them to further his kingdom in a very peculiar, very specific way that others can't. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're not meant to be married, but guess what? You are meant to still pursue and maintain community. You are meant to, to be driven to disciple others. You're meant to be part of the community that God has in mind for the church, you're part of the church, then you're meant to also pursue and develop and grow community because that's his design for all of humanity. It's not just for the the wedding. It's not just for those that are married, but especially for those of us who are married. We need to remember, we need to remember that our main source, our main source of fulfillment in relationships 
in community. Our main source is meant to be with our spouse. That's our primary source of finding fulfillment in relationships. We have relationships with other people, and we should pursue that. But at the end of the day, our primary, our main source of fulfillment should be found in no one else, no one greater than our spouse. We need to remember that. We get into trouble, husbands and wives, when we forget that, when we kind of veer off of that as our focus, when we get really close to other people in our lives. And I'm not talking about, you know, going all the way to the affair level. I'm just saying when anyone else in our life, in our human relationships, when anyone else under God, I'm not talking about God, He is our first and our foremost, but beside Him, if anyone else in our lives take the place of finding our our total, our ultimate joy and fulfillment in our spouse, then we're missing it. We're off focus. Your spouse needs to be the most important person in your life under God, even above and beyond your children, even above and beyond your children, because your children are actually going to be much better off if they have a mom and a dad who love each other more than them. It's just the way it is. And you're going to model for them the way the right kind of relationship should be, what the marriage relationship should look like, the way God intended it. So pursue each other. That's really what it comes down to. Pursue each other. Find in each other, husband, wife, find in each other that fulfillment that you're meant to find and that maybe you have gotten distracted from or maybe you've let kind of wane. Get it back. Get it back. One very practical way of of doing this is to keep dating one another. Keep dating your spouse. You know, you remember how it was when you were dating? You couldn't get enough of one another, you know? It's like you you were with each other on a date, and then you went home, and maybe you got on the phone and talked to one another. I mean, that's how it was with us. We we, uh, dated all through high school, Leanne and I. We were high school sweethearts. And, man, we would go on these dates... And then we'd, I'd take her home, and guess what would happen? I'd come home, I'd get on the phone, and I'd call her. Yeah, drove her family nuts. I mean, I remember hearing, are you, are you still talking to him? There was one time we were on the phone talking until I think, what, 2 a.m. or something like that? We fell asleep on the phone, right? Now we're lucky to make it through a conversation without falling asleep. That's what three kids will do to you. But my point is, keep dating each other. Keep pursuing one another. Be on guard against isolation in your marriage. Don't don't assume just because you're together in the same house and you have wedding bands on your fingers, don't assume that you're really together. Because there's all kinds of things in life, and there's all kinds of things the enemy is going to throw at your marriage that's going to totally derail you from pursuing one another. It's going to distract you from it. And it happens slowly. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens a little bit here and a little bit there, and you you end up finding out one day that you're just totally disconnected from one another. And it never happens overnight. It's always 
Letting this slip and letting that slip and letting this come in and letting that come in. Christian spouse, you've got to guard against isolation in your marriage. Because it's so easy to happen. It's so easy to happen. You guys agree, those of you who are married? You guys agree? It is just something that will totally take you by surprise if you are asleep on that. If you're not being deliberate and intentional about pursuing your spouse, dating your spouse, making sure you don't have isolation and making sure you don't have competing devotion in there. It's very important. It's crucial. Date your spouse. Don't stop pursuing one another. I don't know how long Pastor Scott and Sandy have been married. How long has it been? Uh Uh-oh. On the spot. 30, what is it? 33 years. Great. They were just on a date in Grandview. I think on Friday, is that right? Or Saturday, one or two? I don't know, something like that. And, you know, there's this beautiful scenery behind. Pastor Scott actually smiled. It was incredible. Um, I, I, you know, I about dropped my phone because it was this big smile. And the reason he was so happy was because he was next to his bride. And you know what he said about her on the, on the Facebook? Maybe you saw it. He said, wow, she gets more beautiful every day. Aww. But beyond the awe, that's like, that should be amen, because that's how it should be. That's exactly how it's supposed to be within our marriages, where we still find just total joy and excitement about being with one another, and we still are happy about having that person in our life and that it just blows us away. That's how it's meant to be. God designed us to have intense community with one another as husband and wife. But again, it extends even beyond that relationship to everyone within the body of Christ. Well, back in the text, that was verse 18. Verses 19 and 20 say this, So the Lord God, He formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what He would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. Now, this seems maybe a little bit disjointed if you just look at it on its own. I mean, you think, well, where is this coming from? Why why all of a sudden is is God bringing animals before Adam? He looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper just right for him. And then it's almost like, well... Hmm. Oh, animals, animals. We need to get the animal's name. It almost seems like it's an afterthought or something, but, but we know better than that. We know God doesn't do that. We know there's something deliberate going on here, right? And what I really believe is happening here is, is God bringing all the animals before Adam, and, and of course he would have seen them together. I mean, very likely they were in pairs, in their natural pairings together. Think Noah's Ark, you know, that's, that's very likely here. And he would have seen, okay, this animal has a partner, this animal has a partner, this one has a companion. Man, they're all together. I I don't have that. And I really think it's God needed Adam to see for himself what he was missing. And, And that God wanted Adam to know his need that only God could provide. He's looking around and he knows he's able to name these animals and they have what they need with each other. But man, I, I can't produce what I really need here. I'm, I'm still missing something and I can't do it for myself. It's only going to be the creator that provides this for me. I think God needed Adam to see that. 
He needed him to know that he still was missing something. He was a half of a whole, and only God, only God could provide that whole. No one else could do that. We need to remember that too. That only God can provide what we really need, and only He knows what we really need, and sometimes He needs us to understand that as well. And if He has given you a husband and a wife to have, know that, once again, as I said before, He has provided for you what no one else can. And in each other, under God, you're going to find in one another what no one else can provide you, and what no one else should provide for you. Because what God has given you is meant to be exclusive to you and to your spouse, not to anyone else, ever. That's why God gave you the spouse he did. Okay, Don't you sometimes, parents with your kids, kind of um, need them to see that they have a need for something they don't even understand or they're not even aware of? Sometimes you do that, right? Maybe employ a little reverse psychology. Or you know they need something, but you wait for them to recognize it, and you wait for them to come to you to ask for it. You know what I'm talking about? That's what God's doing here. He says, I I know Adam needs this, but he needs to know he needs this, and I want him to come to me for it. I want him to come to me to provide what only I can provide. And that's what what happens. I just love the next part. I love the next part of this passage. Verse 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one, this one, not these others, these animals. I mean, they're great and all, but this one, is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is the first wedding ceremony. Isn't that great? This is the first wedding. This is Adam seeing his new bride, his companion, who is similar to him, but yet, you know, wonderfully different and unique all at the same time. And he's able to finally have his need for a companion that no one else or no other thing could provide. And it's provided for him by none other than his loving creator who now actually gives away the bride. You see that here? That's where we we get the giving away of the bride. That's really what that's from is this. It comes from this right here where God the creator makes for Adam his bride and then he's the one that gives her to him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? It's incredible. It's incredible. And so Adam sees that as he's waking up from his surgery. You know, God does the first surgery here too, and he's even nice enough to use anesthesia. He puts him to sleep. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe as he wakes up, it's not like that horrible feeling that we all have when we wake up from anesthesia, you know, where you just feel like death. Uh, I probably didn't happen. But even if he were maybe a little groggy, I guarantee you that went away because he saw Eve standing there and he's like, whoa, man. You get it, woman? Whoa, man? A little slow. A little slow. Yeah, I mean, he sees her and, I mean, he says, at last, this, this amazing creature before me, this is exactly what I need. This, this is what I've been waiting for. This is great. This is amazing. 
And, you know, think of, again, parents, how you are with your child when when you've got something special planned for them and you've got this amazing surprise and they're just, they, they're kind of waiting for it and waiting for it and you tell them, you've got to go to sleep. You're not going to get that thing until you go to sleep. You've got to go to sleep first. And when you wake up, you're going to have it. It's going to be amazing, right? That's, that's, that's how I picture this. It's like, okay, Adam, it's time to go to sleep. When you wake up, oh boy, when you wake up, something special. And he says, wow, whoa, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. Spouses, listen, spouses determine, determine to keep that same feeling. Keep that same feeling. Remember back to your wedding day and guys, when you're standing up here and your palms are sweaty and, and you're, you're thinking about maybe passing out and, and then she comes through the door and you see her and it's like Adam's response. Whoa, whoa, man, look at that. Think back to that feeling. Keep that feeling. Work at keeping that feeling. Fight to keep the wow from fading. Fight to keep the wow from fading. And wives, even if maybe your groom, as you saw him, and maybe he didn't wow you, okay? Some of us, that's just, that's just the reality. Let's just, let's just admit it and move on. Still be wowed by who they are, okay? Be wowed by who God has given you. Don't. Let the wow fade. Keep that wow there. Keep that wow there. And listen, if you're currently single, if you're currently single and you really want to be married, uh, but you haven't found that person who is just right for you, um, wait on your perfect father, okay? Wait on your perfect father. Wait on his perfect plan and his perfect timing, okay? If you're meant to be married, there will be a day. There will be a day, I promise you, there will be a day where you'll be standing in front of your family uh, and your friends and you can think or, or maybe you can say like Adam did here, at last, at last, uh, this is the one I've needed. This is the one that God has, has made for me. He, he, she is just right for me. It's, it's going to happen if you're meant to be married. Just wait on God. Don't get ahead of his timing. Don't get ahead of his plan. Don't rush ahead of him. All right, no good comes from that. So just wait on him. Wait on him. Verses 24 and 25 as we wrap up this passage. God here says in his word, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. You've probably heard that in a lot of different wedding ceremonies that you've been in or been part of. That's something that is said. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. There in verse 24, when God is explaining what this is supposed to be, symbolizing and picturing and what the point of this, this whole wedding thing, this marriage thing is, uh, we, we get a little bit of a better idea in the New Testament 1 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says this, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In Ephesians 5.29-32, Paul says this, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. 
And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, quoting this, quoting this passage, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. See, what all this shows us is that God designed the most important relationship to be the one with our spouse. Of all of our human relationships, God designed the most important relationship to be the one with our spouse. That's, that's what he designed here. And that relationship, that most important relationship with our husband and wife, that's ultimately, ultimately meant to picture our union with Christ as part of the church, his bride. That's what our marriage is supposed to symbolize and picture to everyone looking in, saved and unsaved alike. It's to represent that ultimate, incredible union that the church has to Jesus. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that what our marriage shows? Does our marriage point back to Christ? Does our marriage picture the union that Christ has with his church? Do we represent that well? That's the question we have to keep before us. Then verse 25, the last verse there, um, the idea of nakedness that's expressed here. Listen, this goes beyond the obvious physical nudity, okay? We know that Adam and Eve were, were naked there in the garden. That's not really what this is talking about. This has the sense of being totally open, totally transparent with one another and with God. And we know it didn't end up that way. We know that didn't stay that way. But for now, that was true. That was true of Adam and that was true of Eve. They loved each other. They loved God. They walked with God together in complete unity. It was perfect. It was beautiful. That was God's design for Adam and Eve. And even though we are fallen in our sinfulness, that's still God's design for you and for me today. That we would love each other with a fierce, sacrificial love that we would pursue unity with one another as husband and wife, and that together we would love God fiercely, that together we would walk with him in unity. That's the design, being totally open, totally transparent with one another and with God. And this is absolutely vital for us to have, husband and wife, Christian husband and wife. You've got to be transparent and open with your spouse. You can't Let there be anything that you hide from one another. And together, you need to be totally transparent and open before God and not hide anything from Him, which He, I mean, He knows it all anyway. But you've got to be open in your communication with Him. You've got to be confessing sin to one another and to God. That's the plan. That's the design. And though it's not going to be to the same degree, once again, this extends beyond the marriage relationship to all of our relationships as believers. If you're part of the body of Christ, this is how you're to proceed with all your relationships. Openness, transparency, pursuing one another in godly love, sacrificing for one another, all together pursuing unity with him. Okay, That's what the design for marriage is. So that's that's really an overview. That's kind of the big picture of God's design. For marriage, marriage by design according to God's design. As we go forward in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at more specific areas of that. We're going to be going a little bit deeper and seeing what makes up His design for our marriages. Okay, I hope you make plans to join us for each one of those. I think that it's going to be beneficial to all of us. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your design, your perfect design for our marriages. Help us to remember that you are the architect of the institution of marriage. Help us to remember that you have very specific things planned for us. Help us to remember that you handpicked the spouse that is just right for us. And, oh, Father, help us to remember how incredible we felt the day that that we started this great life together as husband and wife. Help us to pursue one another as we pursued one another beforehand. Help us to not let our relationships grow cold or dormant. And help us to pursue unity and love with one another that ultimately pictures the unity we are to have as the church to your son, as his bride. That one day we will be presented to where our faith will be made sight and we will hear our Savior, our great Lord, your son, our groom, say, my father, my father, she is beautiful. Father, thank you for the privilege of, though we are weak, and fallen and sinful. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be presented to your son as a spotless bride. All because of the righteousness given through your son. It's in his great name we pray. Amen.